Hi, everyone, and welcome back to CritCast Pod. I'm your host, Sam Crick, and this is the podcast that offers the personal side behind the persona of world-leading athletes and performers. Thanks to everyone who listened to the last episode of the pod with Henry McLucky. That gave an insight into the young mind of an athlete that is up and coming uh, at the very start of his career. This week, we've got another very, very special guest. Please welcome Adam Clark. Yo. Adam, how are you? I'm very well. Slightly older than Henry, right? He was uh, the up and coming. I'm slightly on the, the other end of the spectrum, which sounds crazy to say. I still feel like I'm 18. I wouldn't say that, mate. You're in the limelight. We saw you at the at the Diamond League doing some pacemaking duties. Um, obviously, you know, right at the front of the pack. It's obviously good for the Instagram. But how did you feel on the track? Uh, honest answer. I'd love to just, yeah, say not as easy, but it, it was harder than it should have been, if I'm being totally honest. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was just windy, man, and cold. Uh, I, I normally don't get affected by the cold, and I don't think it affected me too much. But when you're standing on the start line and you're rubbing your arms and you look left and right, and everyone else is rubbing their arms, you're like Jesus. So like, I didn't, I didn't expect any of my arm warmers in uh, in May. But yeah, it was good. Um, I enjoy pacing. Um, it was nice to actually go up and do an event, um, a large event. For haven't done one of those for a while, and see see a lot of the lads um, from. Yeah, around the world, Britain, and obviously uh, MTC, a lot of the boys that I've, I've trained with over the, the past as well, they were there. So, yeah, always good to catch up with them and, you know, bidders and that. So, you know, it was all good, man. No, good stuff. And especially like having that domestic meet as well, such high calibre and the the athletes that did make the, you know, the trip over, it was quite an event um, despite the uh, despite the conditions that you had. And just touching on the, the pacemaking duties before we sort of go into um, a bit about yourself, your background and, you know, what's what's coming up for you. Yeah. With with that pacemaking, because obviously it's a lot more responsibility um, than it would be to, sh- to just jump in a race, really. Your yeah. mindset going into it, do you prepare more for a pacemaking duty than an actual race? Nah, no, probably not, to be honest. Um, um, I've done it for, I've done it so many times. Um, probably when I first done it years ago, maybe like 2014, 2015, um, racing and obviously heading out to camps and stuff with Mo, uh, probably initially, yeah, I was a little bit anxious of like, like crap, like how hard is this going to be? But it's like anything, the more you do, the, you, you become more comfortable in doing it. And let's be honest, like, I know I get to drop out at 2K, 2.5K. I don't have to go to 5K. So ultimately, I'm running less laps. Like, I know I'm running at uh, a higher intensity because, you know, I can't run 1305, um, 1308. But yeah, I, I don't really get too nervous for it, mate. You just got to you just got to hope that you don't go through that first 228 when really it yeah. should be 31. It's a classic, isn't it? And especially you see a lot of the, the commentators will just do the classic thing of, you know, pacemakers too fast or too slow. And then, you know, yep. you sort of get a name for yourself. But it seems that, you know... You it makes a smack. huge difference, mate, for people racing. Like, to know that... Like, I'm sure people that know that I'm, I've paced before probably don't worry about it. Um, and they know that the race is going to be okay. But can you imagine being in a 5K and say you've got to hit 62s? which is very fast and the pacemaker takes everyone through in 58. Like it's, it's like all of that travel preparation for those athletes, those 15 people behind you. It's like, it's literally could be ruined um, because of the stupidity potentially um, of the the first pace. So I get it. It's an important job, but yeah, the the honest answer, like I say, is I don't tend to get too nervous for it. I'd probably say it's easier than, than racing. Yeah. And it, I think it, it, like you say, it comes with experience and, you know, you've had plenty of that. You talk about how, you, you know, your training partners now with Harry McLucky, which is the sort of up and coming athlete, which is 
quite an interesting Great. dynamic that we'll um, we'll touch on. But yeah, for you, sort of the standard podcast question um, was was how did you start out? You know, was there a specific um, person or event that got you into the sport, uh, and how did that sort of develop through the age groups? <laughs> Probably like most people, to be honest, comes from primary school. Um, you do everything at primary school, don't you? From Pokemon cards to netball to, yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately at the time, cross country. Um, yeah. And I, I remember like a lap of the school was probably like a K. And I think it was like year five or something, like really young. And like everyone's pinging around, like getting excited. I just remember running and thinking, but now like, I'm pretty much at the front here. And I, I won this, like I won our primary school K lap of the, the, the school. And then you get, like most people, you then go on to like the local regional schools where you race all the schools in the in the uh, in the local area. And we it was like a massive thing back then because we got to go to another another primary school, which is like when you're in year five, like you're buzzing, aren't you? And um, I remember it was like it was a slightly longer loop, and I always remember it. And you, my parents came, and obviously everyone's cheering and buzzing, and I, was, and I was leading. And you sort of like you ran parallel to the playground. And then you you loop onto the playground and you finish. And I remember running down the grass, like looking across, and everyone's cheering. And I'm thinking, flipping out, I'm, I'm winning this cross country. And I remember like putting my hands up. I barely won. I've still probably got like 300 meters to go or 200 meters. I've got to loop around, come back on the playground. But I'm thinking, I've got this wrapped up. And I remember putting my hands up like this, and I'm buzzing, mate. I went, I flipping tripped over a hole. Oh no! Honestly, yeah, I've rolled. I've done a roly poly. I remember this other guy from the school came steaming past me. I, I got up and got second. Oh, no. <laughs> I learned a hard lesson that day. Um, oh, yeah, I always remember yeah. that. That was, yeah, classic. And then Mate, I think the, the, follow, I think the, the following year, year six, I won. Yeah, you had to, yeah, maybe not showboating as, uh, as far out. I mean, the primary school ones, like you say, it's where it's at. Like, we used to go to, um, we had, like, West Kent Athletics, and you'd go to... Um, you go to like math schools, which is our local sort of rival. And you'd run, you'd run round and me and my brother, he was a year, some of Charlie's a year younger than me. And um, we did, like you say, literally like two lap course or something. It was probably like a mile or something silly, yeah, but max. it felt like the longest thing in the world. And after hundred meters, half your classmates are actually just walking. But yeah. I said to, um, I said to Charlie, um, we were running like together and we were, we were ahead. And uh, I go, oh, Charlie, do you want me to take the wind? Do you want me to take the wind? And he goes, uh, he goes, no, definitely not. And he sprints off and literally gaps me by about 100 metres and, uh, and finishes the race. And I was like, mate, what the hell are you doing? It was well windy. I just, wanted to, help, I just wanted to help you out. Like, you know, we're brothers. And he was like, I was not going to let you win. Wow. Like, yeah, dog so, eat dog right there. No, even then from like eight, nine years old, bit of competition with the brother. But, um, but is there anyone uh, for you, I guess, that you were like really uber competitive with at the start? Uh, to be honest, then obviously you progressed to secondary school, and I went to an all boys school. Yeah, and you start obviously at that age. There's big boys, there's little boys, medium sized boys, <laughs> you like know, brown <laughs> boys, tall lanky boys, and they're all in year seven. And you, and you go to this second, and I was quite a little kid, and um, you remember like going going into like your first week, and you're thinking, Christ, like he's got he's got stubble, like he's only yeah. in year seven. What's going you hear, on? You hear your first swear word as well. You're just like, yeah, oh my like, god, what's that? Yeah, so everyone progresses like um, maturity at different levels, and you obviously naturally. I went to an all, no, not a sports. It was quite big on sports. So we had an athletics track, and my football year, which I wish I could say I was part of, but I wasn't. We won like the national. My year group won the national Coca Cola Cup, where we played at Stamford Bridge, and they won the national. Oh, yeah. So I don't know if you know a guy called Steve Cook. I think he's the captain oh, okay. for yeah, yeah. a football 
Bournemouth, South. Yeah, I don't, I don't follow football. Anyway, so the, I'm not a football man, but no, neither am I. Anyway, I'm going off track here, but basically there were some good sports people, like the footballers, basically. So I'd always be a little bit anxious of thinking, like you know, Christ, these boys are fit. But yeah, I'd always, I'd always go and win. Mm. Um, but the I learned, I learned a hard lesson actually about it's not just about winning actually in year seven. So I had a head a year called Mr. Baker. And this stands with me now is like just classic. And at the time I was like, what the hell? But now I fully understand it. And um, it was like the day after that I'd won this like school cross country, like fair, I actually smashed it, which is great. But um, obviously 100 lads, obviously I just want to say well done to obviously Adam yesterday for winning the cross country. We've got a prize or a medal or something. So you you walk up, everyone's clapping and probably booing at the same time (laughs) in secondary school. Anyway, gives me this little medal and it gives me a Mars bar and I'm thinking jackpot. You know, you get given like a king size Mars bar in year seven. I'm thinking, oh, flipping won the lottery. Yeah, happy days. Yeah. Anyway, I remember the guy's name. His name, I won't say surname, but not that he'd ever listened to this. I probably, yeah, but anyway, his name was Craig and he come dead last in this cross country, probably by a minute. And fair play, he'd done it, completed it. And he goes, and just stay up here for a second, Adam. And we, and he goes, right, can we get um, Craig such and such to come up? But everyone's clapping. He comes up. He gets two Mars bars. Yeah. Obviously at the time, I'm hang about, mate. Like I've just won the school cross country, mate. And I've got one Mars bar. And then obviously he's giving this speech about, it's not about, it's about taking part. And, you know, some people are better naturally. It's all about just doing it and conquering your own goals. And which is unbelievable. Like now, obviously I I realise that, but at the time, like, yeah, I wasn't happy, man. He got two Mars bars. I got one for winning. Like I'm thinking next year I'm coming last. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I no, guess, yeah, I yeah, it proves a lot. Bit. And um, you know, in some of my so my my day job is uh, working in in schools and in, in education around careers and entrepreneurship and things like that. And a lot of it is the motivational side for it. And it it seems like that teacher, you know, Mr. Baker, there talking about how it was probably more of a um, an achievement for that lad to finish the race than it was for you to win it. Um, and sometimes it is, you know, it's the same Without for a, doubt, yeah. a lot of athletes. And I think they get to. And they get to a point in a race, for example, where, you know, there's, there's some people that have never won a race in their lives. Um, and over the cross country, you know, that's that's pretty much where I'm at. Right. Because um, my brother would beat me and then all my mates would beat me. But, um, you know, I think, you know, that you're constantly having those battles and it's more about sometimes being able to finish it um, and challenging yourself than actually it's, winning it. It's, it's a great lesson. Yeah. Success is different to everybody. Like success shouldn't just be you win the cross country like if success is you've never completed a cross country go and run your first 8k around the mud for example even if you come last like that's a success and and you realize that the the older i've got and the more i've obviously have a passion for for running and coaching and helping others like you you realize that but when i'm younger i was i I walked out of that assembly fuming yeah 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 you don't realize it at the time (laughs) no no it's good and then i guess um you know from there you get um, a bit more experience in in the sort of running scene and you know you go on to the the national stages and things like that when you were you know let's say as a 16 year old listening to this podcast um when you got to that age what was the what was the main th- I guess again towards success what was your yeah. measure of success at the age of 16? Oh running as fast as I possibly could like before I went to university in Hastings and I I was co- I had a few coaches um Reg and Pete Standen and, and Terry Skelton and stuff down in down in Hastings. Um, like again, I was just like this big big fish in a small pond sort of thing. So like, I, yeah, success was 
go into like the southern sort of junior leagues, I suppose it is. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'd go up to everybody and thought, oh, mate, what's your PB? <laughs> Classic, I'm, yeah. Oh, 410, I've got him, I'm going to run for a minute. <laughs> like, what are you running, mate? 412? You know, I'm thinking happy days. And then you don't realise, for me personally, I didn't realise there's this whole other like world of like national running and BMCs and stuff. And I, I think just before I went to university, um, so that would have been, what, 17 that year, 2008, yeah, 2009. Yeah. Um, I, my eyes, yeah, got woken up to actually like the level of what people were how much they were training what they were doing and the level of yeah how how fast people are running basically how does that how does that progress on then so as soon as you sort of experience that is it like a realization of i'm nowhere near where i thought i was or is it you just exposed to a new level that you're then like right i've just got to up my game yeah so i went to so i'll be honest i've done my a levels and i think i went that year i went to english schools and i think i was maybe like sixth or seventh but i only i overtook two people in the home straight because they fell over um <laughs> nice. still video, hope they're yeah, okay. yeah, no classic the results um, <laughs> i went i didn't know what i was going to do and i went to like a south of england training day at st mary's university and i remember driving in with my parents and i hadn't even thought about going to university and i went to this training day and I've, I remember, I think I was warming up with like Johnny Hay and Andy, you know, you must know Andy Coombs, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the okay. time, I think I'd run about 8.32 for 3K, which is solid. I went to like the under 20 Crystal Palace races and stuff where you got your name yeah. on your number. I remember running with them and they were like, yeah, we ran last week, ran like 8.16 and 8.17. And my jaw at the ground and I'm thinking, what are these kids eating? Yeah. Like, There's something different up here. And um, I finished his training day. My current coach, um, Jeff, Jeff Watkin, he was like taking the taking the day, and he came up to me after because he knew my old coach from Hastings, and he said, "Adam, what are you what are you doing at the end of the summer now that you've you finished your your A level your A level art and whatever I was doing um, geography?" And I said, "I ain't got a clue, mate." I said, "Really, don't know." And he he turned around basically and said, "Do you want to come? Would you, would you like to come to St Mary's?" And I I bit his arm off. Yeah, like I was like, "Yes." What do you want me to do? Like I'll do it now. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, he helped me get to St. Mary's um, and then that's when my eyes opened to, yeah, what the level of professionalism, as well as having fun a little bit, um, but how much training people do. And like, I I think at that point I hadn't even double run once. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Um, So I I got thrown in at the deep end and I, I think I coped for about two months running 80 mile a week off of normally running 20. And then I think my knees gave away. Yeah. That was, uh, that was the same up at Loughborough, actually. I'd spent the first um, sort of six to eight weeks on like 50-mile weeks and messaging Mark yeah. Quay going, Mark, this is amazing. I'm running so well. I'm flying, so Mark. Get, get to Mansfield and, uh, you know, the race went all right, but then after that, just blow up and uh, everything catches up to you. And I think um, it's it's a reality for a lot of the the freshers going into university because you're, you're amongst people that are, you know, I mean, Loughborough was very much... Um, let's go on a Sunday, tem- uh, sorry, Thursday tempo and let's just race everyone. <laughs> like, it's oh, mate, I used to race Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Session, without yeah. a doubt. No, it was a joke. And because you knew that every single time, if you've got 60 people on the track, which at Loughborough you would, at, wow. at least one person would be absolutely flying that day. So you're always sort of comparing yourself. And I think um, the reality for a lot of freshers, and I know that a, a lot of people will either be in, you know, their first year or uh, second year or going into that um, that are listening to this pod right now. And, yeah. you know, 
what advice would you give to them in the first sort of couple of weeks? Because obviously you've got that freshers, um, you've got to get the sort of fresher stuff out of your system. But yeah. once that's over, um, yeah, I guess first year advice. Be patient, don't overtrain. Literally, like you've got so, you got, you feel like when you're that age, like you're, it's like now or never. Yeah. And like, you don't realise you've got so long to progress. And probably my downfall was I was just like super keen. Um, like, so if we were doing, if we were doing core and the, we were told to use a 5k midball, I'd get an 8k midball. Yeah, yeah. Just because I thought, oh, I'm going to be better. Like if I'm set a four mile run, I'll do a six mile run. I remember watching Cam Levens. I'm sure you probably watched this on yeah, flow yeah. track. Yeah. Um, driven yeah, yeah driven one. yeah and he, start, he, he used to run three times a week and I was so keen I remember I remember for about a month I started twice or twice a week running three times a, a day yeah sorry oh, what's that about <laughs> um so I, I think the biggest thing is like yeah just don't get carried away straight away like be be patient like try try not to do too much like that's so easy easier said than done um and just be like find what find what works for you. Like I, I went under the Mick, um, I was coached by Mick at university, yeah. and I progressed. You know, from not making, going to the Bedford under twenty, under twenty, under twenties, and coming second to last to in my under twenty three, I was second in the fifteen, and I won the five k. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I progressed a, a lot. I did a lot of training. I made a few. I made a lot of mistakes, but under under his guidance at uni, I I did, I did progress. But I think just do what's right for you. Like don't just because somebody that might be slightly faster goes and does a tempo or puts an extra bit of effort in, like, because the likelihood is in a couple of years, you will be as good as that person. Because I watched the, you could say the hierarchy of performances change drastically at university. Like if you could put whoever was the best athletes in year one and then compare where they are compared to like not as good runners in year four, like it literally just crossed. Yeah. It's a joke. Yeah. It's, a joke. Uh, it's mad how people can progress. Yeah, and and also like I saw a lot of um, athletes that you know perhaps in the younger age groups you would have had them in races or you know southerns nationals that sort of thing, and then they go to university they put in you know solid training they're dedicated to that and they trust the process almost. Um, you know they come flying past you when you're under twenty threes and you're just like what the how the hell has that happened? And then you realise that you know actually it's because they were a bit more consistent, a bit patient, like you said, um, and just gave it a bit more time. And the other thing I'll say, and I'm going to sound so old for saying this, yeah, but <laughs> man, like, save every moment and also, like, make sure you have a bit of fun because I made my best friends, my, I've met Charlotte, um, all of the, my, uh, can, not connections as such, but my, my opportunities. Your network, your whole like, network, yeah. Like my, everything has ultimately expanded and developed from going to Teddington uh, and studying at St. Mary's, so man, just enjoy it. Like, cause yeah. I'd love to go back and do another year. And I sound like I'm 45 saying that and I'm not. Oh, you're not. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, <I'm> 43. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, just, man, just enjoy it and have fun. And so you're, you're mixing it now with, um, with some of the lads that are literally coming through and doing well. We talked about Henry McClucky before. Um, and so you, you sort of had experience of the, the main guys. I mean, you know, you're good mates with Mo Farah um, you train with him, um, but you've also got the, the benefit now of seeing what's coming with the, with the younger boys. What have you seen on both sides that you've taken um, sort of you taken on board in your own running from the experienced guys that have been there and done it before and the new ones that are coming through? Good question. Um, 
again, like probably from being around Mo, a lot of older athletes, obviously I've, I've trained a lot as well with Melbourne Track Club. Um, it's finding a good balance of like being professional, but not being over the top. So Mo's a, Mo's a prime example, or someone like Stewie, Stewie McSwain, like they're, yeah. they're professional when they need to be professional. No, they they train blooming hard. Like there's no doubt about that. Them boys train hard, um, but they also chill out a little bit. They don't stress too much. So if they want to go to the cafe and get fish and chips, like they're at fish and chips. Like it's, it's yeah. pretty, it's, it's cool. Like um, so, I probably probably like I said, I was a little maybe a bit too intense at university. Um, tried maybe a little bit too hard. Um, it was probably didn't benefit me. So I'd say I learned to like relax a little bit and. And, and and also like enjoy the journey, like enjoy it because like I've I've been very fortunate as well. And I've travelled the world, I've raced over the world, I've trained over the world. And I think if you get so hooked up on like crapping yourself the whole time because you're racing in America and oh my god, then it's natural to get nervous. Of course it is, and everyone deals with it differently. But I think if you can't control that in a good way, like before you know it, you you get slightly older when things might change and you think, I mean now, like I enjoyed it, but I didn't enjoy it as much as I probably should have done. Yeah. Um, so that's Is probably it... one of the, and yeah, you've got to train hard, like without a doubt. Like I, <laughs> I've certainly seen that and, and experienced that. Yeah. And on, on that side of it as well, I think it is, you know, the whole point of this podcast as well, and not why I started it, because that was a bit of a different reason, but how it's developed is, you know, really finding the the sort of inside you know, inside the minds of um, of these real people that are, just happen to be incredible athletes and performers. And I think yeah. when you talk about Stewie and Mo, like, you know, those those guys are obviously absolutely smashing it. Um, Stewie is just incredible. Like, you watch them. They have bad days. Like, that's the thing. That's what people yeah. don't realise. Like, them, them boys have bad days as well. Mm. Or they feel crap on a run or they, mm, you know, that session was all right. Um, because it's very easy on social media, isn't it? If you don't know people, you think, well, that, that person's like... Do they ever have a bad session Super or a human, bad run? Yeah, yeah. Like they are, of course they are. They, they got something, they got that little va va voom, haven't they? You know, yeah. Them, them guys, uh, they are animals and um, hugely inspiring, but everyone has bad days. Yeah. And it's, it's just a bit of a, it's just an eye opener, really, isn't it? That these are, you know, real people. And, and uh, Jen, um, Jen Gregson was on the podcast and she was yeah. talking about how, you know, when they spend time in um, Teddington, um stewie and, and rambo were literally just like they'd go to the pub and buy like a six pound lunch meal or something at the pub you know the, tri- the tricks of the trade away right yeah is this, is this your influence no it's not my influence <laughs> I'm, a, I'm more of a memo sort of guy yeah nice yeah um, <laughs> i'm gonna tell it here at um yeah. it, it just shows didn't it it just shows that they're you know they're real people works, behind it and they're just just absolutely smashing it on the track and i think that you know, a lot of that, we talked about balance before we started this this podcast, but yeah. I think that that really does come into it. Um, and like you say, you know, the patience that comes into it and then also just enjoying it. Um, you know, it's one of the biggest advice, pieces of advice that we get on this podcast because it's so true. Um, and some people, you know, it might be cliches, go, oh, just enjoy it, just enjoy it. But actually, there's no way that you're going to perform your best unless you're in the mindset of, right, I'm going out to enjoy this. Let's see what happens, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's mad. Like, I get it. If you're trying to trying to um, run and you're on the cusp of making a game, uh, a, a team, for example, unless you've got to run, say you've got to run 13, 30. All right, if you go to a race, 
you're in shape to smash that and you don't run very well and you run 13.32. You're a couple of seconds off of ultimately a huge goal. You can be a little bit annoyed, but like that doesn't happen. That's not it. Not everyone's in that situation. So sometimes like when you go to a race and you think you're in X shape and you, you go, you have a good time, you see some friends, it's sunny, you have a good race, but you fall a little bit short and you run eight, 10, 15 seconds slower. Like everyone, most people are very culprit on letting that just judge the whole weekend. And it's like, yeah. you know, there's going to be more opportunities. And before you know it, you could have raced in Italy. You've just, because you run a couple of seconds slower, like don't try, I try not to let that affect my uh, experience too much anymore. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think back into, you know, the, the age group level, which, you know, at Tunbridge, we were very, very fortunate to have a successful group of like oh, under 20 athletes when we started. Right. Um, yeah. And just to be around those boys. And I, I do think back because some of it, um, I think, you know, Mark Cook will say the same in terms of the, the culture of it. Um, it is definitely not as strong as it was. Um, but at the same time, you know, we still got these, um, these events like the nationals where you're going as a team and, uh, you know, you're on the coach and you're with loads of different um, people of, of different ages and it just makes such a massive difference. And I think, you know, especially for me, I think about athletics as something that kept me on a, a strong track, really, um, if you pardon the pun. Um, but more like I know how influenced, influenced I could be. And I think if, you know, if, if running wasn't there, it, um, it could have been a totally different pathway. But, you know, you're, you're sacrificing things because of running, but it's actually... A massive benefit like you know if there's a party going on and you know it's on a friday night you're racing on the saturday you're not going to that party so you know it's it's like it's always a balance but also i think that running in general um which is obviously a massive part of your life in both the the competing and the coaching is yeah. you know such a um sort of driving factor to like focus and you get so much yeah, out of it, it, it becomes your identity doesn't it um mm. especially the last few years um, obviously with, with Charlotte and, you know, developing Purgy performance and helping and coaching a number of athletes sort of around the world of our, you know, our other, our other head coaches. It's, it's like, it's from waking up to going to bed, it's like running and it's not, the nice thing is it's not just my running. Like everyone runs bad, whether you're myself, Mo, wherever you're Jane down the road who wants to break 30 minutes. Like we, we never run amazing every single run. Like, so even sometimes I, I might have run okay or well. And let's say it's a weekend and we've got 15 athletes across our team running. I might get back to my phone and see, oh, buzzing, buzzing, buzzing. Yeah. And of course, naturally out of those, there's going to be a couple of athletes that the weather was bad where they were or the course was meant to be flat, but it was basically running like Mount Everest. We know what it's like <laughs> yeah. with these, uh, races. And they might have run a little bit slower and they're disappointed. Mate, that affects my, that really does affect me, like yeah, emotionally. Course as bad as like if I run well and bad it's, it's mad that's like and that's just the, the passion for for running as a whole coming out and it's, yeah, it's, the, it's it, it, it makes me smile in a way obviously I don't wish running not so good than anybody but it just it just makes me realize how invested in it I am yeah and yeah I think invested is the you know invested in passion is the two things that really stand out and for for you I guess in in terms of that perjury performance. And we had a little conversation before about how a lot of people think you're like a pro athlete full time. It's amazing to, to have that. Um, just to burst everyone's bubble or just put the record straight. Uh, Adam, are you uh, completely full time uh, in professional running? <laughs> I've never been a full time athlete, um, unfortunately. Every, I've, like I said earlier, I'm, I have been very lucky. I, I understand that, whether that's through opportunity, 
being the right person, being the right ability to travel, race, like I say, go away of Mo and stuff. But it's always been, yeah, self-funded from you've just... To, yeah, you've had to work working. I worked, yeah, worked every day at university, as does a lot of people. But yeah, I, I get it because of social media sometimes before Purgy performance, it might, you might have seen that it might have looked like, but I mean, how he's away again. How's he doing that? But I didn't <laughs> yeah. realise I was travelling like the length of the country the week before for work and stuff, sat in a car and, and whatever. But yeah, so I wouldn't change it for anything. So, so yeah, now you've got to, you know, a point with, with Purgy performance and how, and looking back on sort of where that first started, that initial idea, where, where did it come about? Was it, um, was it Charlotte trying to, um, you know, sort of expand her offering and her sort of profile, if you like, or, or yeah, how did it first come about? Yeah, so I'll be honest, in it, my mum always said to me, because I, I'm, I feel like I'm quite a people's person, I enjoy talking to people, and this will probably go on too long because I'll chew your ear off. <laughs> um, that's standard. And um, so my mum always said to me years ago, she said, oh, I think you should do something in like, set something up where you, you coach, we you help people. And being with, I've been with Charlotte like this year, I think like 10 years, so quite, quite a while, wow. just highlighting how old I am, um, even more <laughs> here. Uh, yeah, basically we would always help family friends um, or we might get some, my dad might be like, Oh, I'll go to the pub with John. He's got half marathon in two weeks. You know, he's going to come off the pipes this week. What should he do for the next two weeks? And I'd be like, well, he's left it a little bit late, dad, but <laughs> I'd, I'd enjoy helping people. And so would yeah. Charlotte. And we soon realized that like, we'd maybe have a, a, a half a dozen people we would help. And I'll be honest. I, I sat, I first time I ever met Lloyd, um, He's in my training group. I know you know him really well, Lloyd Kempson. Yeah. I was in Font quite a few years ago and I sat with him and we were just chatting, like getting to know each other. And I knew that he had his sort of coaching team project run. So I, I wasn't being nosy by any means. I just generally asking, like, oh, it's seen, you know, you're doing really well. Blah. And it was nothing on what he does now. It was scale wise, it was a lot lower. Yeah. And we met for a coffee after. And I always say, so whatever, like, we get our purging performance birthday. I always say to Lloyd, like on the day, I'm like, mate, thanks. Because he was like, mate, what are you waiting to do it? What are you waiting for? Basically. Yeah. Um, and we, I went for it and obviously I had to balance it with the current work that I was, I was doing at the time. And it's grown, grown, grown ever since the last sort of three to four years to the point where, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love it, mate. Yeah. We, we, we love it. We've got, there's, yeah, like I say, there's um, six, six of us head coaches now um we we you know we coach people from obviously 80 percent the uk but hong kong sydney um dubai america canada russia um yeah all over the place well wow, it's incredible and, and especially you know that that piece of advice and um you know lloyd and i have a lot of conversations about literally just getting stuff done um, you know, cracking on with it and just do it. Um, there's so many quotes out there. You can just reel them off I, from, off the top of my head. You know, screw, screw it, just do it from um, from Richard Branson. It's just standard. Um, and then even like a guy called Rob Moore, he's got a podcast called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. And he just says, um, you know, start now, get perfect later. And I think that that's, that's ideal. And for me in the pod as well, uh, my, sort of, my sort of journey with it, let's just, you know, the first ever episode was me talking with my stepbrother and his mate in his uni room on his bed with my phone out doing voice memos. And then, you know, where it's gone to now in 65 different countries around the world and, you That's know, crazy. thousands, thousands of people listening, it's a what? joke. And so, like, especially 
I mean, touching on, you know, what you guys have done, which is incredible in terms of growing a team, like there's so much that you learn. Um, and obviously I'm doing this pretty much on my own, but I think yeah. that once you start investing in other people as well, you say you've got six coaches that, that must teach you a lot, a lot more, like further than just, right. I've got to be a good coach. I've got to be a motivator. You've also got to, you know, build a culture as well um, around that. And so, yeah. yeah, how do you, how have you, you know, tried to integrate as many coaches as possible into, you know, your philosophy, your mindset as well, or have you sort of let them do their own thing? Yeah, no, we, we, we work very closely as a team, all of us, um, extremely closely, to be honest. We, look, being a great runner doesn't necessarily, if I'm being honest, make you a great coach. Like there's yeah, such yeah. a, there's a line between it. I think it can help, but if you're not the right person, then you, you're not necessarily, in my eyes, straight away going to be a good coach. Um, so for for us, getting the right people is key because ultimately, like, okay, we could say, right, amazing, let's get another 50 coaches who are good runners. But if they're not good coaches and we were to rush the process, the only people that aren't going to benefit are our team of athletes. And that's why Charlotte and myself started Persia Performance was to help runners around the world, athletes around the world, like, have close contact with a head coach and ultimately enjoy their running, progress their fitness, race faster, and also like gain an element of knowledge as well about running. Because for us, things that I might take for granted because I've done it for many, many moons now, um, yeah. like other people might not know certain areas about running or should I do a session one day and then a long run the next day, or should I do a session and then another set, just stuff that I might think like, or you might be like, well, obviously not, obviously, but, yeah, yeah. but it's not, it's not to everybody. Like it's really, really not. Um, so for us, again, seeing people like develop to the point where like they can might initially start and they might say, oh, I'm, I'm late from work. Should I run or shouldn't I run? And obviously our answer nine times out of 10 is move your run. It's absolutely fine. Yeah. Like just because something's written on an app or your training plan, don't worry about it. Like we can move things. It's nice to then see that athlete a few months down the line go, all right, guys, I've just to let you know, I've, I'm working late. I'm going to move. I'm going to move my run to yeah, tomorrow. Not should I? Like, that's yeah. a huge win for like, that that things like that put a massive smile on my face because that that's a development for that for that athlete on the team um, and they they've had the confidence to to do that. Um, yeah, so. I think that's that's such a great point. And with the you know the knowledge side of it, it is something that we take for granted. I mean, you know, you're thinking about running every day in terms of your you know your work and um, you know your your career, and yeah. you know even even me from let's say like nine, 10 years old, you know, that you don't train every day to try and get, you know, the best out of yourself. And even my, one of my mates, Alfie, who, um, he played for Saracens, um, rugby when he was younger and you know, he's now at Loughborough. And he said to me, I want to get my 5k down. Um, and I'm running 5k's every week. Like, why is my time not going down? And I was like, well, <laughs> you need to do, yeah, it's, it is literally, it was laughable. I was like, well, stop doing that for starters. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's more about let's do, let's do an 8k, uh, at you know really slow pace and then let's do a couple of interval ones so you know that sort of thing is is something that I think um, a lot of runners take take might take for granted when they're talking to um, a friend or, or something like that but it's good to know that the knowledge and the expertise is actually accessible now um, you know yeah. with loads of online running running clubs and because it's and I think a lot of people don't give it the credit it deserves because it's not 
working at elite level. Like when you look at a coach, you might think of, you know, that elite status or getting national teams or things like that. But I think the community side of it is also, you know, massively beneficial and is probably, you know, it's the best thing about it. Yeah. Like help it. Like we might have um, a worldwide team of athletes, but if we can, if there's a local club or a local community that they can go and join on a Thursday and a Friday and run like 100%, they should go and enjoy it because like this morning I ran on my own um, and it was all right. I just got it done. Didn't, you know, I sort of enjoyed it because the weather was a bit better. True. But I'll, next Tuesday, for example, I'll go and do a session, which is 10 times harder than the run with my group. And I will absolutely love it because I'm with my friends. Or if I run a long run with Charlotte, I much prefer it. Like on Sunday when I run with Charlotte, it'd be so much better than if I, I go on my own. Like mindset and stuff running with others, it just helps massively, especially when people have got families and nine to five um, jobs and stuff. Like it just... You know, if, you, if you're meeting some people at, say, half six, you're probably not going to let them down. Whereas if you've got to go out the door at half six on your own, yeah, it, it can be slightly more of a struggle. So we, we, we encourage the community and, and stuff um, side of running is, is huge. And that, that that's the same for elite level and for um, non-elite level. Yeah, very true. And uh, yeah, I think just just in general, just to hear about your you know experiences throughout the age groups, how you first got into running and then followed that by you know, how you're now inspiring other people to, you know, not follow a career in running because, you know, for these people, they've got, like you say, families and, and work outside of it, but follow a passion and constantly improve themselves and just build the knowledge around, around what the sport's about. And, you know, I think that we can, every single person that's listening to this can second the fact that the experiences that they've got from running will probably outweigh the the wins and they, and the wins will probably come into it if that's the case, but it's more about, you know, constantly striving for to progress yourself and also being around the people that um, that sort of, you know, bring you along as well. Um, and the, and the memories and stuff, like the memories that I've got through training, through like simple as even just training in Bushy Park with my with my my group um, or going away and, and training or even bad races. Like I look back now and laugh sometimes at, at yeah. bad races and like not every memory can be amazing like as in like at the time a positive experience but like now you've got they're always going to be a mixed bag but so yeah it's about i suppose yeah creating good memories from from running as well yeah definitely and uh and on quick cast pod we often ask some uh quick fire questions so it's a sort of like a fast a few questions but to be honest they tail off um i often talk about a couple that we've done with with jake whiteman and um, and with Guy Learmont, and they just they just go a bit uh, a bit mental. But I do have some questions from the listeners, um, which is obviously always massively helpful because it means I have to do less work um, and think of cool questions to ask. So we're going to go to um, we're going to go to Josh um, who uh, Hulmont, um, Josh Gwil- Josh Gilmont. Uh, I think that's, that's really? Josh Gilmont. Gilmont. Josh Gilmont. Oh, I know him. Yeah, I used to race him. Let me say that again. So we're going to hear from uh, Josh Gilmont. Um, and he says, who is making the team for the 1500 and the 5,000 this year? Right, sod. Um, oh, mate, I don't even want to say. Um, head and heart are two different things, I suppose. Um, okay. I'm go- I, will- I will answer. I'm not going to be that perfect. Yeah. Oh, I've got friends. <laughs> um, 1500. I will go uh, Jake, Josh Kerr, 
gricey. Okay. Um, but, 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 I do have a feeling there will be a young buck, the likes of Josh Lay, um, Archie Davis at the moment. Um, yeah, Piers will, possibly. Who, sorry? Piers Copeland. Yeah, mate, the 1500 is, is mad, the depth okay. at the moment. Like, they, they could genuinely, like, if everyone was fit and healthy, yeah. obviously, I know the time's 35 and under, but yeah. at the trial, for example, a 36 runner could run very well and, and compete for a, a medal, which we saw um, last year. Um, yeah, a few of those younger guys uh, <laughs> will be will be dangerous as well. I wish yeah. I could say, like, eight people, because uh, I like uh, them all, really. But. So, yeah, so, so Whiteman, Kerr, and Grice, which I believe is the, um, was that the team that went to the uh, World Champs? So it could be a World Champs team again. No, Grice, he didn't go to the World Champs. It we was, had, uh, was it Gooley instead? Gooley went to the, right, he okay. won the trial, didn't he? Snuck up yeah, the inside did. past Kerr. He finished okay. up. Nice. I mean, yeah, the 1500 is ridiculous. Um, what's your bet for the 5K? Because Butchart, when I spoke to him back in, um, I think he did a podcast in July or August last year. Um, yeah. He said that most of the 1500 boys should move up to the 5k um, because of how, because uh, because it's uh, less competitive than the 15 would be. All right. Okay. Something like that. <laughs> so so who, would you, who would you put in that 5k team? Um, Butchart, um, Scott, Mark Scott, and I don't think anyone else has got the time, right? I think Sam, Sam yeah, is, he's yeah. got the, I think there's a lot of guys that Jack Rowe, myself, Sessman, I don't want to forget anybody, so I'm not going to keep talking. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> around that 1330s, there's a, there, there's a half a dozen people that one of them, one of us, one of them in the right race or could, could make a step up. But I think yeah. obviously 1313, if you're going on the Olympic time, is... Mate, it's, it's a savage yeah, time. Like you've got to be, you've got to be a serious geezer to be able to run 13, 13. And I think that sort of time, you've got to have the right race. Um, yeah. If you look at when Mark's done it, or if when Butchart's done it, like they've they've not just rolled up to Trafford on a windy night and <laughs> rolled out in 13, 13, 12, for example. It just doesn't happen. So I think opportunity, fitness, a few things have to align for somebody to make a big step up to to 13, yeah. 13. So okay. uh, those two, uh, oh mate, uh, I wish he would do it, but um, I think he's probably just doing the ten mo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, getting love it. Um, Lily's fitness has come through and uh, asked, "How do your legs get so long?" Ask my mum and dad. <laughs> <laughs> we coach you, Lily. You were quite so. You were quite small when you were younger. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't develop till I was about twenty-eight. I was actually only fourth. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I, I, I probably didn't grow to yeah, probably. Six form, maybe year 11. Um, so yeah, well, I'm now six foot, so I've no idea. Ask my mum and dad is the answer. Nice. Uh, Stuart McSwain, um, is uh, has popped in a comment which you know is good for me. I love seeing that, that's great. Um, he says, Where's the chicken cup at, Clark- uh, Clarky? Good question. Um, <laughs> I think the last time we see the chicken cup was at the world relays in 2017. In I forgot where it was. Yeah, I don't know like, where it was. Not the Bahamas. Was it the Bahamas? I think it was the Bahamas. Yeah, it might have been. Yeah, yeah it's somewhere. The, uh, someone's got it in the Bahamas. Basically, just, it just explain what the hell is that? What's a chicken cup? So it was Stewie's cup. Stewie, so we, we had a um, training camp in. I went away with Melbourne Track Club in 2017 to Mount Laguna. Nice. Um, and 
yeah, great camp, but we still always used to have this like stupid little chicken cup. So we used to steal it and take it around the camp and take different pictures with it, like Starbucks, uh, Stanford. Yeah. And then <laughs> the lads took it to the World Relays and were taking pictures of it in like Barbados or wherever it was. Nice. The lads forgot to bring the bloody chicken cup back. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so it's in some maids probably got it in her house in Barbados. So we always say, like, where's this blooming chicken cup? At? Where's the chicken cup? So yeah, I wish there was a better story to it. Like, you know, well, it sounds, it sounds pretty good. It sounds like one of those, um, you know, the class pets that you had and you had to take <laughs> it on holiday with you. Like I had a little, oh, yeah. uh, little teddy bear or something as a joke. Yeah, perhaps we can try and find. No, definitely not going to find it. <laughs> no, the uh, the yeah, the search for the chicken cup continues. Long um, live it, Dewey man. At least good luck in Doha. <laughs> what? Yeah, what a bloke. Um, and then uh, some of the the questions that we often ask um on the podcast is is what is the best advice that you've ever received? So we've we've heard a bit from you about you know some advice to the younger athletes and perhaps you know the 16, 17 year olds that are making that transition, but. From someone else, what's the best advice you've ever received? Someone, a friend of mine, said, be yourself, nothing more, nothing less. Um, interpret that how you like. But a simple one is athletes get this perception of before a race, you have to put your Beats headphones on. You have to get either oh, Tiger or you have to get still dry or whatever you want to listen to to get yourself pumped up and you have to like walk around the track and then you've got your mates all right mate how you doing you're just like ignoring no. them and, no leave me alone i've got a 1500 and like you're like a robot and don't talk to anybody and and if you don't do that normally why are you doing it in a race like okay it helps some people prepare but i think there's this like this is just an example like you're you're not being yourself you're doing something that's unnatural to you um so yeah, yeah be yourself nothing more nothing less love it and then on the other side of it um the worst advice you've ever heard someone that uh what someone said that you just go yeah that's ridiculous i'm not going to be listening to that oh mate i don't really know the worst advice um or maybe maybe it like something that someone yeah again someone said but you just completely disagree with it Probably things that I used to do um, when I was maybe slightly younger, i.e. got to run harder. Yeah. You know, like get out and run, uh, yeah, run, run faster on your easy runs. Like I might have smashed a session Tuesday and I got a session Thursday and you're getting, you know, run harder on a Wednesday on your easy run. Well, it's an easy run for a reason. Like, I, I yeah. need to recover, but like, and I'm not saying I, I, I don't, I probably did listen and run my runs too fast back in the day. But now if I were to look back and say to myself, yeah, I'd say that was probably a bit of bad advice. Yeah. Good stuff. And if there was anyone that we could get on this podcast, um, that you'd stop your day to listen to, uh, you'd switch on Critcast pod on all of your podcasting platforms, classic plug. Um, and, uh, and you'd stop and listen to them. Who would that person be? Runner or anybody? Literally anyone. I'll, I, you know, I'll talk to anyone, mate. So this really should be like your idol or somebody like that, shouldn't it? Yeah, anyone, if, if there was no other list, it doesn't matter about the listeners, not bothered. Um, I mean, you guys are great, but not too bothered. Uh, Adam Clark is going gonna, is gonna to be the only listener. Who's going to be the guest? <laughs> Mate, I've not, I literally ain't got a clue. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mate, I ain't got a clue. Well, you wouldn't want to listen to anyone. No, I do, but I just like I, I, I should. I don't. I don't know who I, who I should say. Um, <laughs> I can't help you with this one, mate. It's up to you. <laughs> Mo Farah, <laughs> Shay, like whatever. I don't. Or 
Uh, Margot Robbie from Wolf of Wall Street. She's pretty hot. Done. Done. What's so you there just you pick the two, the two most, the two best looking people that you know? Fastest, and oh, I don't know Margot Robbie. I wish I did, but I don't. Well, um, I think we I can. Know it's, uh, at the moment, but yeah, whatever. Uh, we, we, we can probably it. we can probably make tracks of one of them. So if you can just drop uh, drop Mo a little WhatsApp, and we'll get him on next week. Because I've always got to upgrade my guest. It's going to be very difficult now, um, Adam, because we've had such a fantastic guest in you. So uh, thank you very much for uh, for joining us. Um, if if the listeners want to find out a bit more about you um, and about how professional you look on your social media platforms, where can they find you? Uh, where can they find me? Yep, on socials. Uh, Clarky One is my Instagram handle, I believe. Nice and easy. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, well, Adam, Clark, thank, you, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. Uh, for the listeners, thank you very much for listening, for the watchers, for watching, and the viewers for viewing. This has been Crickcast Pod, um, giving you that personal side behind the persona of world-leaning athletes and performers. I've been your, I've been your host, Sam Crick, and I'm really excited to uh, have you listen to the next episode of the pod. Have a great day. We'll see you soon. Cheers, Adam. Cheers, boss. Take it easy, everyone. Boom.